All right. Week 11. Week 11. So, we're dealing with Avengers Age of Ultron. Let's say we're, we're we're almost on phase two. We're uh, we're getting there, slow and steady. As we do, we come that much closer to Infinity War. God, I can't wait. So we're gonna start with uh, I believe it's an Infinite Infinite comic, uh, which I don't know how you read these. Um, have you? Did you read any of them when you had the Marvel Unlimited Trop? Yeah, there was, a, I think, a few of the early ones I read. Uh, a few of them I had to uh, buy, and then a few of them, you know, I came across other means. But, uh, but yeah, uh, there, were, there were not as many on Marvel Unlimited as I thought there would be. I feel like they should have, have them all up there, but, or at least all of the kind of older ones. But they, their selection wasn't that great. They only had some. Uh, I've found all... I've read all of them on there. Um, the problem is fucking hard as hell to find um you gotta really look for some of them yeah i find uh i'm not super crazy about marvel's unlimited their search engine i think it's like pretty rough and i, I it's yeah it's fucked it doesn't work on a lot of yeah. cases i'll literally type in a title and it won't show up so you have to like individually search in the comic things which doesn't make sense a lot and they don't actually have like a this is the mcu thing like this is where to look so they should hire me <laughs> Um, they do a fantastic job in uploading new old comics every week to it, which is impressive. Uh, but as for actually finding shit on there, it's super bad. Like, I literally tried finding the first, like, Jessica Jones debut on there, and I couldn't. Um, they, they had a whole Jessica Jones section on there, and it just showed random-ass appearances and didn't actually have her first appearance, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I think it's still use a bit of work um, there in her face. So, how an infinite comics work, which is interesting because I've seen, I, I read a, a Punisher Doctor Strange um, one that I didn't care for, but I found it at my comic book store in individual issues, and I was like, I didn't know that they printed infinite comics. I thought the whole point was that it went on Marvel Unlimited. Because what they do is they have a panel, and then you click, and the panel changes. So it's super easy to draw. You have like one piece of art. And then you add in, like, a new layer. You have a person moving, and then, like, bubbles pop up. So, like, instead of pages and, you know, going through each page, you have a list of panels. So each infinite comic will be like, this has, like, 70 panels or whatever. Um, so it's probably easy to replicate in uh, in a comic format, but I didn't know that they did that. Um, so, so this, as we had a couple before, is uh, an infinite comic. Uh, it's called The Sceptered Isle. Um, written by Will Corona Pilgrim again. Uh, so this one's kind of uh, takes place over, you know, the course of, of uh, Project Insight and all of these things and the fall of S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, it's interesting. So we start off with uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. Station, which is a whole lot of periods in one title. Um <laughs> So, so SHIELD as an acronym, and then STATION as an acronym for Scientific Training and Tactical Intelligence Operative Network. There you go. Why have an acronym that doesn't sound cool, right? Alright. Um, so we follow this guy, Mark Smith, who, you know, uh, Maria Hill didn't like for an in-the-field agent, so he's been working here. And good call, Maria Hill, because he ends up getting, you know, persuaded to join HYDRA. 
uh, by Baron von Strucker there. Um, so we see Baron von Strucker in this. I think we see Dr. List at some point. Um, we've seen both of these in the Winter Soldier post credit scene where we get introduced to the twins. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have Mark Smith, goes Hydra, kills his buddy, Nicholas Cooper there. These are all random. I think all these characters are actually named after uh, um, Marvel Studios uh, employees. Um, so oh, yeah, that, that is interesting. And then he joins another Hydra uh, agent there. The two of them go together. Mark Smith and Mark Basso or Baso. Um, I thought it was funny that Mark meets Mark there. Uh, yeah, we it, it goes through kind of Project Insight uh, and what's happening there, and then after the fall of Shield, uh, we kind of end with uh, Infinite Comic basically ends where Winter Soldier ends, where Doctor List and, and Baron Strucker are talking about the twins and you know quoting the same lines, and we see uh, Pietro and Wanda Maximoff using their powers in the same thing basically. Kind of ties in together. It's, uh, it's an interesting comic. You don't really get a lot from it, but it's a fun story. Yeah, just a little, just a little backstory comic. It's kind of interesting. Also, I think this is one of the few times that the comic uh, show, TV show, and movie all connect because, like this arc, uh, they deal with Strucker and stuff on on Agents of Shield around the time before Ultron came out, and just that all catapults right into uh, Age of Ultron. So I think it's kind of interesting. This is one of the few times where multiple mediums are, are kind of being. Uh, film, TV, and comic are all be taking place within the comics. I thought that was an interesting little touch. Definitely. Uh, while Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't tie into Age of Ultron quite as well as Winter Soldier did, it, it was still pretty fun. It was, it was the last time I think they actually did any sort of, like, because, you know, she, Coulson and them are partly responsible for the helicarrier in Age of Ultron, but they don't actually... I think it's the last time they have any sort of connection with the kind of larger MCU. It'll be interesting to see if Season 5 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will tie in at all with... Uh, Infinity War, but that will be determined. True, true. That's why I got to catch up beforehand. Um, so, all right. Uh, Age of Ultron, the movie uh, directed by Joss Whedon again. Uh, you gave this one four stars. I gave this one four stars, yes. And you gave it four and a I half? Guess, yeah, definitely. I remember when I walked out of the theaters, I was like, this is a five-star movie for sure. But... Uh, I don't know, and it's one that I don't really know how I feel about, because, like, I feel like Avengers gets away with being five-star because it's just, like, a beautiful movie, and it does, you know, kind of the same thing Guardians does, where it's all these characters that have been, like, you know, um, introduced to other films and stuff, but how they, you know, react in the big screen for the first time is is just really impressive, and it was kind of uncharted territory, and they just do it so well, and, you know, Loki's a fantastic villain, and he kind of... The Chitauri invasions, nothing, like, iconic or, like, you know, nothing, um, like, crazy unique or original that hasn't been done, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a generic, um, plot point, but it works because Loki's so interesting and he's so great as a villain and it just allows the Avengers to kind of work in a generic comic situation on screen for the first time, which is anything but generic, right? Um, and I feel like Age of Ultron kind of does what Guardians Volume 2 does and takes it to the next level. Uh, I, I think while Loki is an amazing character, um, 
and he's definitely more interesting. I mean, I, I, I think in Avengers is maybe one of his weaker performances overall. Like, because I think the best part about Loki really is, uh, you know, the family drama, everything with Thor. We only really see one scene with him like that. Um, he's got good moments. He's definitely stronger than Ronan is. But I think Ultron is a villain I like more than Loki in Avengers. At least. Oh, really? I'd probably have to disagree with you on that, but I, that's that's some interesting points about Loki. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've shifted between four and four and a half. I, I've kind of rated it both. Like, I think when I first saw it, I saw four and a half. Then when, you know, the hype died down, I started reading. You know, there's, there's some flaws that kind of stuck out from the movie that I don't feel that the original Avengers had, like that... And the biggest one to me is I think this movie is just a bit... I don't like using the term, but it's a bit bloated. There's just so much that I think Whedon wanted to do with it. And, he, and the Avengers, the original Avengers to me is like a razor-sharp focus. Like It's just like, you know, you're introducing all the members of the team, but they're, you have some familiarity with them. And even if you don't, you can kind of get where they're coming from and what they're doing. And it just kind of flows very... And then from there, it's just like everything makes sense progression-wise. But there's a lot of like things in here like Thor's Ragnarok vision and you know the, and the, the, that's with both good and bad like, I like the way that he experimented and that this movie's kind of darker than the original Avengers like the you know the scene where you're kind of switching between each character having their hallucination that Wanda gives them I think is is really well done but then there's just so many like kind of loose threads and plot points I don't think kind of lead to where they should and, and Ultron himself I do like Ultron but I think he also does have some have some faults as to why I don't like him quite as much as Loki. That being said, I still really love this. This is a really great movie. I really enjoy it. It just, I I think it could have been more. And I think a lot of that had to do with Whedon's kind of feud with Marvel at the time. And uh, I, I think that's why Whedon was having such frustration with this movie. is just because he was being kind of, you know, his relationship with Marvel at the time wasn't going too well. And I, I think you can kind of see that a little bit in the movie. But that being said, I still love it. I still think it's a great movie. That's fair. Um... <clears throat> I can definitely agree with that, uh, why, why Avengers deserves the, the role over it. It definitely has more of a razor-sharp focus. And honestly, like while Loki isn't as good in Avengers as he's in everything else, because my favorite part about him is the family stuff, as a villain, honestly, he works really well. Manipulating everyone and everything he does, it, it, it works. That being said, I do really like Ultron as a villain. Um, and I like a lot of parts about Age of Ultron, um, even if some of them a little much at times uh yeah um my my audacity is kind of lagging a little bit right now i wonder if this is gonna affect the runtime at the end oh interesting so your theory might be right we'll see um it seems like it's moving normally it just kind of catches up as it goes but i don't know should probably should have rebooted before we did this yellow <laughs> um okay so we have sokovia other uh, fictional country in the Marvel universe. Wait, Sokovia isn't real? No. No! <laughs> I wanted to go there. So so we got Wakanda, we got Sokovia, we got Simcaria, which is where uh, Silver Sable uh, lives. If uh, Black and Silver ever happened, which I think is getting shut down completely. Hmm. Thankfully, I'm, I'm, I don't like uh, Anyway, um, let's not talk about Sony and their Marvel uh, 
whatevers. Uh, <laughs> so we got so we got the the whole Avengers crew storming this Hydra base, which uh, is a great opening scene. Like just them kicking ass right off the bat. Like I like that they open with that. Like that's it's really well directed. Just like in you know the, the, you can see that they they know the, the, they know each other better. They work like you know they can tease each other and they can work together as a team. And uh, I like that they just jump us right into the beginning. Like rather than building up to us, like just immediately them kicking ass right off the start. Definitely. Um, an interesting thing I didn't actually write any of these parts down, but uh, in um, in the writing, Joss Whedon really used a lot of like witty, um, kind of like almost tongue twister lines that he has, like. There's three instances of it, and I don't remember the other two. I might have... Maybe when we get there, it'll pop up. But at the very beginning, uh, you know, they're about to get the scepter back from Strucker and Hydra and kind of shut this down and put an end to their, you know, raiding parties and stuff. And uh, so Steve says something like... Uh, or maybe it's Thor, goes, at long last. And then during the fight scene, uh, the next line is Black Widow going... At long last, lasting a little long, boys. And it's it's like a funny line. It's a, it's a really witty, well-written line. And he, he does that a couple points throughout the movie, which I found really interesting. And just kind of like a stylistic thing that I didn't pick up on before. So uh, next time you watch it, keep an eye out for that line and, and see where it happens a couple other times in it. It's a bit of his uh, writing style in this specific time of his life really showing off. Um, so yeah, we have the whole crew attacking there. Uh, we see the Iron Legion Mark II, which uh, Tony immediately built up, and uh, along with his Mark 43 suit um, after the events of Iron Man 3. Uh, the Iron Legion Mark II is little... You know, these suits he can't get into for once. They're, they're Legionnaires. They're meant to, you know... Uh, hold people back and guard off areas and protect people and do that sort of thing. Um, we don't actually see them get used in combat matters in this because uh, Ultron makes quick work of them. But, uh, yeah, so we see we see Tony in his Mark 43, which uh, looks exactly like the Mark 42, except the colors are inverted. Like, if you notice in the Mark 42 from Iron Man 3, it's mostly gold with red accents to it. And this one looks almost the exact same, but mostly red with gold accents. Um, and honestly, I couldn't... We, we see the Mark 43 through 45 of this, and I couldn't even really tell the difference um, between the suits. They're, they're not really stand out. And there's nothing super special to note about them. Normally I could talk for hours about suits. <laughs> if, uh, if you don't believe him, check our Iron Man 3 podcast. <laughs> so he's got, uh, he's got the Mark 43 on sentry mode, which I find really cool. He just pops out of the suit... It, it stands guard and is looking around and is ready to blast someone even without a minute. Uh, Iron Legion style. Um, we have Caps got like a, a magnet of some sort on his arm that kind of calls the shield back to him, which is a, a fun little uh, Joss Whedon thing there. You know what I mean? He's He's got issues with how Tony's using his suits in the Iron Man movies, so for Avengers, he's like, give him a jetpack. And you know he's kind of like, how does Cap Shield keep coming back to him? Like, let's let's write something that kind of makes sense for that. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, 
we have Tony go into the secret room in, uh, in the Sokovia Hydra base there, and he sees that giant Chitari Leviathan uh, from the Battle of New York that they've been messing around with. And that's when uh, Scarlet Witch jumps in and gives him the vision of, of all the Avengers being dead. Which is a uh, really cool. Um, I really like that. Uh, that I really like that aspect of this movie, the, the dream sequences and stuff. I thought that allowed uh, a different look into the, the psyche of these guys that you don't normally get to see in these movies. So I, I really that was one aspect of Ultron I really liked, like seeing these dream sequences and like that that scene with Tony when he's looking out and all the bodies of the Avengers are in front of him and that he thinks it's his fault and stuff. Like that's uh, I think that's really well done and, and it sets a darker tone. That is one of the things I do appreciate about Ultron in comparison to some of the other movies. Definitely. Um, we, uh, we, the, I, I like that scene, but I hate Cap's lines in it because like Chris Evans is a great actor and there's so many good lines in this movie. Um, you know, that one, there's only one God, ma'am line that really bothers me in the original Avengers. Uh, I feel like he does a complete... Because he has great lines in in Avengers 1 where he's, you know, haven't you ever lost a soldier before? And I, I really like Steve Rogers overall in that. But I feel like he just turned it up to 11 in this one where he's got all great lines. But when he wakes up from his, you know, death thing and goes to Tony like, you let us die. And the way he says that line in between breaths seems really contrived and like like, shitty acting to me, almost. I mean, I don't blame him for it, because I feel like Joss was probably like, say it this way, but it's not believable for me, and it's one of the very few complaints I have with this movie, that one little scene that lasts a whole, like, five seconds. <laughs> Interesting. I, I, I think I remember you talking about it. I, I don't remember it being poorly acted, but I, I could see it now that you mentioned it. I do, I do kind of remember that breathy voice, and so maybe I'll notice it next time. Not that it's poorly acted, per se. It's just, like, I feel like when people... Even if they sound like that when they die, I don't find it to be realistic. I feel like if he had said it in a normal voice, it would have been better than Adam. Fair. Fair. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, uh, that scene's great because it's Tony in this nightmare has... Um, he's caused the death of the Avengers. So, the entire movie, the fear of this happening and then the Chitauri invasion on Earth is what's been... It's his motivation for the entire thing, which is really interesting and, you know, kind of goes into Civil War where... And, and, and Tony is a character the whole time, right? In Iron Man, he's terrified of what his weapons are doing to the world and, and his legacy when he acts because of that. And then in Civil War, it's the death of the people and everything he's doing. And, you know, everything that's happened happens in this movie that kind of deters him. And, and the fear of dooming the world and everything riding on his shoulders is kind of what propels him to this entire movie. Well, I did like that stylistic choice to have this movie be centered around something that Tony created. Well, Tony and uh, and Bruce, but uh, something that Tony created. You know, that that's like that's because you know I, when when she comes up to him in Civil War, uh, the lady and says, um, you know, I hold you responsible. Like I, I think that's a fair point because like this had Tony not have created this thing, you know, this thing, then a lot of lives would be saved and like. That's that is. I'm glad that was one thing I liked about the movies that uh, I like that Whedon took that aspect. Like they have to deal with something that they created. That's you know if they if it goes wrong then it's on them. It's their fault. So it was a really interesting avenue for Whedon to explore, and I, I'm glad he did. 
Definitely. Um, so yeah, he takes the Loki scepter there, and uh, they peace out. Uh, we, we see uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch in action there. Quicksilver's got his uh, classic... Oh, you didn't see that coming line? Um, they, they were, they were, I was super stoked when, so we got Elizabeth Olsen cast as, uh, Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch, um, super excited for that. I started watching a ton of Elizabeth Olsen movies, couldn't be more happy with their choice, um, of acting, of actor, uh, she kills it, um, and then we got, is it Aaron Taylor Johnson? Aaron Taylor Johnson, you got it. I said it wrong. <laughs> um, I, I really like. Aside from Kickass, I haven't really seen him in anything, but I really like him as Quicksilver. Uh, he's a great character. Um, and while while Groot dies in Guardians of the Galaxy, technically, um, it's it's an arguable point, and you know. Uh, Volume 2 takes place after this, so Yondu dying isn't quite the same. Uh, but Quicksilver dying, hes so he's the first Avenger, and I think at this point the only Avenger to die in movies. Which I see why they don't regularly kill off Avengers, but I do think that was something that was necessary. I mean, I, I really do. Mm -hmm. Definitely some people are going to go in Infinity War. I like maybe I, I definitely see either Captain Cap or uh, Iron Man. Dying, and I understand why they don't kill off regular characters. You want to have them for future movies. There's, it's not always good, but like I think it was at a point where they kind of needed to show some stakes to show. Like Coulson died in the original, but Coulson was only really for the you know for the diehard MCU fans, the ones who recognize him. It wasn't outside of that. Most people wouldn't be too affected by his death, but that was something that I think that they kind of need to. And I'm glad Joss Whedon did it with with Quicksilver. He would have been definitely. I liked him a lot. It would be very interesting to see him in future MCU movies, but I think it, it served its purpose for the story. Totally agreed, um, and yeah, I mean it's basically setting fire to like a barrel of money to kill off an Avenger, so it's uh, <laughs> clearly not a choice they make uh, lightly. Um, so they head back to uh, you know have their party and stuff. We see uh, we see um, Doctor Helen Cho, who's coming to uh, heal up. Um, Hawkeye with her, you know, flesh recreating machine that makes like a plastic flesh substitute or whatever um, combines with human tissue and stuff like that, which is kind of the crux of the whole movie. The, um, so Helen Cho comes in from Seoul in China, I guess. Um, she is the mother in the comics of Amadeus Cho, who is the uh, I think he's like the eighth smartest character in the Marvel Universe. Uh, genius Asian kid. And in more recent comics, he actually becomes the Hulk um, for a while there. Uh, is on the Champions and stuff like that. Um, so super dope character. And nice little tie-in there from Joss. Um, we, we see that Stark Tower has now become the official Avengers Tower. We have Maria Hill working for Tony Stark after the fallout from uh, Winter Soldier. Which I still don't really understand what she actually does for him, though. Yeah. Uh, just kind of runs the Avengers and does all that stuff that she would have done for Nick Fury, I guess. With Ah, uh, true. 
Um, and then probably Cap has so many good lines in this. I feel like they really, Whedon really brings it home with Cap in this movie, especially, you know, the differences between him and Tony that they start to build. Um, but I really like the line where uh, she's briefing Cap and is talking about the, you know, the Maximoff twins and what they can do. And she's like, can you believe they volunteered for these experiments? And then Cap goes, yeah, can you believe? Who would let a German scientist experiment on them to give them powers? <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, but it's, it's not a war. Like, we're not at war. And then he goes, they are. And... I find that to be my favorite part of Cap in the movies is that, like, when S.H.I.E.L.D.'s being too much in Winter Soldier, he's the first one to be like, no, this is not okay. And he, you know, he has these people, like, fighting against him, and he doesn't even give it a second thought to give them the benefit of the doubt to immediately, like, empathize with them and what they're doing. And that's, that's so Captain America, and I love it. Um... So we have Tony talking with Jarvis and wanting to uh, analyze the staff and all this stuff. And uh, another thing that's been going on in, in MCU movies, Tony Stark drinking shakes, drinking you know nutritional shakes, green shakes. <laughs> and he's, you see him going to grab one. And then later when he's checking up on, on Hawkeye, he's got four of them in like a little carrier that He's handing out these shakes to the team, you know, post-superhero uh, mission protein shakes. Well, he looks out for the team, you know? You gotta, you gotta be in good shape, right? And I, I really love the consistency of that, of keeping up with that. Well, I like his line from this movie when he says that uh, Cap's the leader, he just pays for everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we have Bruce and Tony talking about Ultron, which is super interesting because... In the comics, Ultron is a Hank Pym invention. Um, and considering he's uh, kind of a minor character in Ant-Man, uh, which comes out after this, um, it didn't really make sense to do it that way. So to have Tony and Bruce creating Ultron, it just like kind of revitalizes the idea and makes it a little more make a little more sense in the MCU. It was a bold choice, but I liked it. Um, we have them talking about, uh, we got the first mention here of Veronica, which is the Mark 44 armor, the Hulkbuster. And uh, we have Bruce saying that he helped design Veronica. And I find it a funny code name for the armor because uh, obviously it's the Heart Hulkbuster, but you know, you have, you have Bruce, who's the Hulk, and one of the few people that can calm down the Hulk is, you know, his, his love of his life there. Uh, Betty Ross, so you know, when Betty isn't there to calm the Hulk they they call in Veronica and that's a fun little uh, Archie Comics <laughs> reference there. Speaking of Betty, her and uh, by this point, her and Bruce, are they do do we know if it's supposed to be, because her and him and Black Widow are flirting all the time and stuff like, are they done? Do we ever find out what happens with uh, Betty? I feel like they tried not to touch on it as much as possible and not reference the movie, like it's like the bastard child of the MCU. They just don't speak Which is it. fair, but I would like to see, you know, if they could bring back Ross for Civil War, they don't even have to bring her back. I just like, 
you know, even like movies that Pepper's not in, they, they, they'll often like, re- you know, reference what his current relationship with her is. I just, and they don't need to make it a big thing, but I just want to see like, because, you know, now that he's kind of in the public eye and, well, I guess he ran away for a few years. It's not a big deal. It'll just be something I would like to see addressed in some point in some form by the time the series ends. Definitely, me too. Um, agreed. Especially with uh, Ross around. Um, so we have the the party at Stark Tower. A bunch of awesome things happening there. My 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 favorite scene, arguably in the MCU, when uh, War Machine's telling his tank story. Oh yeah, um, That's, that scene's awesome. Um, and it's funny when he's like, you know telling me. He's like, man, normally this story kills. And then Thor's like, oh, that that was the story? He's like, oh, it's a great story. And he goes, yeah, nice, nice save. <laughs> the whole time he's doing that, Thor's trying to be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, here, let me laugh at your joke. Uh, Tony doesn't even feel ashamed. He's just smiling the entire time. Like, eh. <laughs> and the, exp- the look on his face when he tells it just kills me. I like that whole um, uh, that whole party scene in general. Just, you know, you, you know, it's one of the few times you actually get to see him, like, relaxed and and having fun and stuff, so it's kind of, you know, the, the stuff with, like, them trying to pull Thor's hammer is hilarious. It's just, it's like a fun, chill little scene where you get to see the characters in a more relaxed state, which I like. You never get to see that, really, in the MCU. True. Super clever. Um, uh, we have uh, the Stan Lee cameo, where he's drinking, uh, he's this old war veteran there, and he's drinking Thor's... Um, his alcohol, and then, you know, he gets all drunk, and he goes, Excelsior! <laughs> um, which is classic Stan Lee line. Um, and, and, and Thor is talking about the, the alcohol, and he goes, Oh, no, you can't have some of this. Uh, it was aged for a thousand years in the barrels built from the wreck of Brunhild's fleet. I believe Brunhild is the original Valkyrie in the comics. Or if not, she's she is a superhero of some sort that is Asgardian. Um, so nice little reference there. Um, we got. Uh, I don't think I really back to Steve Rogers really being the dream man, the perfect guy, total babe. <laughs> um, when he's talking to Bruce Banner about Black Widow. That that whole scene, his dialogue, the way he's standing there, like a, like an older brother almost, and just super happy about it. It's just like, it's just the sweetest thing. I, he's just such a good guy, and you know, he's like, you both deserve a win, and he kind of gives him some advice, and he's 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 very warm and very like supportive, and I just I, I feel like that's really subtle, but so important to his character, like how he. He kind of does that there. Yeah. Um, really like that scene. Same. Um, the hammer scene's fantastic. Uh, I, I don't know too much about Mjolnir and, and who's lifted it, but uh, I believe... I believe Black Widow and Cap have in, in the Marvel Comics universe in the 616. Don't quote me on this, but I feel like I read it at some point. So... When Steve tries to lift Mjolnir and it nudges a tiny bit, that's kind of a nod to that. And then the fact that Black Widow's like, that's not a door I want to open. That's not something I want to even... That's not an answer I need. That's not a question I need answered, right? I think that's a nod to that, too. I love Thor's face when uh, 
when like he sees it move just a little bit, like the panic, the complete <laughs> panic in his face, and the way he laughs after when he uh, when, when he realizes Cap can't move it. That's one of my favorite, yeah. the favorite Thor moments, just like the the sheer terror on his face. Definitely. Um, for for Age of Ultron, recommended reading. Uh, I wouldn't actually recommend reading Age of Ultron. It has absolutely nothing to do with the movie. Um, it's a fun comic. If you want to read it, check it out. But uh, zero to do with this. and probably won't even give you much more of an understanding of Ultron, to be honest. Um, but uh, during the fight when Ultron comes in and, you know, the Iron Legionnaires are battling around and stuff, um, Hawkeye throws Cap his shield. And him being the master of projectiles that he is, I believe when Cap dies in the comics, that Hawkeye is the one that's holding on to the shield. Um, and because it was like, who will wield the shield was a whole thing. So I think, I think Hawkeye was like considered as potentially being a replacement for Captain America because he's so adept with projectiles and throwing things that it was like, who else to throw the shield than, than Hawkeye himself? But I think he was like, nah, I'm not willing to take that that like legacy. But yeah, so uh, so we get our introduction here to, to Ulysses Claw. Um, actually, we get our introduction to Ultron, who's voiced by James Spader. Um, I, I, I texted you this uh, what yesterday. Um, I've just recently been rewatching The Office, and I never ever watched the final season. So to see James Spader, or Robert California, and and hear I, I just I hear Robert California every time I I hear Ultron talk. Now it's great. I was showing Cheryl because she uh, was working when I was watching it, and she was dying. Like she was, she couldn't keep a straight face listening to his voice because he'd been watching it. Recently. Well, I know James Spader is a very well-known actor, but I actually haven't seen him in a whole lot other than The Office and Age of Ultron. Like, I, I really can't think of. He's been in a lot of TV shows, but none that I've really watched. And like, I know. I think that's why he's famous too, is from like his roles on TV shows. Mm. Um. So yeah, U Ulysses Claus, not a character I know in origin of too much, but yeah. So he's he's portrayed by Andy Serkis. Um, he, you know, got into uh, Wakanda, stole all this vibranium, which is our first introduction to Wakanda in this movie. Um, and I, apparently he, in the comics, becomes this character, Claw, who I'm fairly familiar with. He's got the sonic arm cannon, which, uh, excuse me, um, we, have, uh, we have referenced in uh, Black Panther a little bit uh, when he gets his, his arm or whatever. Uh, Kind of a reference to the Sonic Cannon that Claw has in the in the um, comics, so that's interesting. Um, yeah, because in this he gets his arm cut off by Ultron, which is the Phase Two uh, reference there. Um, yeah, so I had a feeling that would tie into some. Black Panther stuff with how he was talking because it, it seemed I assumed he was a Black Panther villain which I guess he is but uh, I didn't ever know him as one in the comics um, so yeah we 
we have the whole battle there at uh, Claw's um, home base there, and we, you know, have Tony and the Avengers pop up. And we have Scarlet Witch get into everyone's head, which, again, is a scene I really like. Um, so, Tony's battling it out with Ultron. We've already gotten his head, right? So we go into Black Widow's head. Uh, we see her training as an assassin and, and kind of her background, which is, I find, super great. One of, one of my favorite parts of the movie. Um, we see Thor uh, leading the Asgardians to hell as, uh, um, as uh, Heimdall says. Another thing I really like about this movie is, like, for that scene, like, we have Idris Elba as... Heimdall. And, like, we see Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson at the party at the beginning, even though he's not fighting as an Avenger in the movie. And, like, we have Don Cheadle as James Rhodes, and he even comes in for the final battle as War Machine, right? So I love that they, like, we have Eric Selvig pop up later as well. Peggy Carter shows up in, uh, in Steve's Dream too. Yeah, yeah, which is my favorite out of all of them, honestly. Also, in Thor's dream, apparently Beta Ray Bill is in the background. Beta Ray Bill? <laughs> yeah, you can, you can catch him a little bit. He's a classic Thor character there. Um, they have some caps. Uh, um, kind of nightmare. It's literally the war is over and he can settle down. And the fact that that is his nightmare, I find amazing. Um, really interesting. Uh, yeah, we got Peggy Carter there. Uh, there's a band playing and music's happening. Um, and the band playing apparently is called the Roy Thomas Players. And Roy Roy Thomas is, uh, I think he was a writer. He, he definitely was a creator of some sort in the Silver Age. He created Adamantium, Vision, and Ultron. And, uh, I think also created the team known as the Invaders, which uh, we have a, a Vision reference, sorry, an Ultron reference at some point. He talks about um, when he meets with uh, the Maximoffs, he's, he says, like, you know, uh, babies become humans and everything becomes so-and-so. And then he goes, uh, Invaders become, uh, and you are making love to your mic right now. Hmm? I said you are making love to your mic right now or something. Why is it making a lot of noise? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I'm not moving. There we go. How's that? That's better. Um, so, so he says a line that invaders become Avengers, and that is very literal. And also another nod to Roy Thomas because he created the invaders. Um, the invaders was, were around, I think, during World War II, and it was like Cap, Bucky, uh, Namor, I think the original Human Torch. I haven't read too much about them, but they were the the original. They weren't made until after the Avengers, like in the actual comics, but they were the original team before the Avengers. Oh. Um. So. Um. Hmm. Another another interesting thing I saw on Reddit uh, for Thor's nightmare is they kind of like. They, they call it, they're like, Odin's son, you're the destroyer, you know? Um, and that they're going to lead them into hell, which we know to be 
different than the hell we know. Asgardian hell is a little different. Um, and, uh, um, he, he's got the, like, electricity that kind of goes over his body, which is a, maybe a little foreshadowing of what happens to him in Thor Ragnarok. Oh, true. Um, so, yeah, this, this whole thing happens, this battle happens, and then we got her getting into, into Hulk's head finally. Let's loose the Hulk upon the world. It rampages in the city. Um, and then that's when Jody uh, calls down the Mark 44, the Hulk box buster, which kind of goes over his 43 suit of armor and has, you know, bonus pieces that come down on Will. And Tony is the first person to ever defeat the Hulk. Uh, and I think the only person, which is pretty impressive. Um, yeah. That says something about him. Uh, it's good that they had that contingency in place, though, that they were already planning for that, because they knew, despite his good attentions, that, uh, you know, Bruce is kind of a powder keg that can go off at any point, right? Yeah, definitely. So it makes sense to have a contingency like that that can actually deal with him, should he get it out of hand. Totally. Um, so we have Hawkeye's family, which was a huge twist and an interesting uh, writing plot point for uh, Joss Whedon there. Um Another thing I really like about this movie is that they very clearly are foreshadowing Hawkeye's death the entire movie. That is a really clever bit of writing. They, they nudge it just enough to make you think that he's going to die, and then Quicksilver, you know, bites the bullet and saves his life kind of thing. So Yeah, there's a lot of building towards, like, I remember watching, like, is Hawkeye going to die? Because, like, he is the most vulnerable. Like, I could see it happening, but, like, I, I don't really want him to. Yeah, and then to, to kill it brand new character in place of a character we know and have, you know, an attachment to is pretty crazy. Um, um, so yeah, we got, um, we got Ultron getting the vibranium from Claw so he can use this, you know, tissue creating machine that Helen Cho has created and mixing it with the vibranium to create a vibranium body that's, you know, indestructible. It's his final vessel that he can control. And then he puts... He rips open the scepter and puts the Infinity Stone on top of it, which is the, the Mind Stone. Um, so that's the fourth fourth Infinity Stone at this point, um, revealed for the first time. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, we, we have Thor going to the Water of Sights here, which is... Uh, mystical spot i guess where he can recheck out his vision which kind of is foreshadowing for thor ragnarok i guess um, yeah and see here's where i think about the the, the bloat i was talking about comes into play like thor's vision like it was just something like you know him going i i get that they were trying to set up ragnarok but see that's why i think why the we're still dealing with fallout from age of ultron because of bruce leaving like, I, that's the last time we saw him and i i think because it was trying to set up so many things at once that it kind of got a bit crumbled a bit under its own weight and that's why I think Age of Ultron like I, I still don't really know in that pool scene what Thor actually sees or what really the purpose of it is like, and I, I've seen Ragnarok now and I still don't really have a full understanding of what that scene actually was trying to do and that, that to me is kind of one of the issues with Age of Ultron There's just we didn't just try and fit too many things into it at the same time and I think it suffers a little bit because of that that's fair yeah I mean the uh... 
th this little side quest though Thor goes on is really completely irrelevant to the entire story, and even to Thor Ragnarok, there's no point to it, except that when he goes to these water of sights, which seems totally random, um, he he finds out about the Infinity Stones, I guess, which isn't really relevant, I suppose, because he, uh, um, like. Sif and Volstagg know about the Infinity Stones, and they're in touch with the Collector, so, like, they didn't need to do this. But by doing this, he gets a vision of the Infinity Stones, what they are, and then finds out that, uh, what happens to the Orb and, and, and the Power Stone. Um, so, because near the, at the end of the movie, he's like, I'm gonna go and check some shit out, because he's like, this is the fourth of the Infinity Stones to, you know, be active in, like, a short amount of time. Which means he knows about the third Infinity Stone, which is the Power Stone, which was the orb from Guardians of the Galaxy. Which no one else has any record of or no knowledge of. But he does from this vision, which means that he knows what the Nova Corps is. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely, like, it's, it's kind of cool world building, but just I think it made the whole thing kind of suffer a little bit and I know that wasn't entirely Whedon's fault because Marvel said you can either keep Hawkeye's family or you can keep like Thor's I think sequence was supposed to be a lot longer they said you can keep one or the other but you can't keep both and he had to make cuts so I can kind of understand the frustration Whedon was going through with Marvel at the time and how it kind of the movie kind of suffered a little bit as a, as a result but um, yeah um, yeah that's all I want to say I guess <laughs> um, so I also really love uh, that when they get, you know, they, they steal back this body from uh, from Ultron, um, that immediately Tony's like, we have to make, you know, we have to, we, we got Jarvis back. He, we found out that he survived this and he didn't even realize it. So Jarvis is alive. We have to put him in this body so he can defeat Ultron. And Bruce is like, this is crazy. I'm stuck in a time loop. Like, we just did this, and we fucked up. Why are we doing this again? And, you know, Cap and everyone else is trying to stop it. And then Thor comes in out of nowhere, supercharges the machine with his own lightning, which I found to be very Frankenstein-esque, and brings the vision to life. Um, so, interesting thing. So this Loki's scepter had an infinity stone in it, and it's the Mind Stone. And the Mind Stone was in the Scepter, and because of the specific way that it is, and it's super important that it's the Mind Stone, that it was the power that, that created Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So the fact that she can do, you know, get into people's minds and do all these crazy things is because of the Mind Stone and the way that it is. And I don't know if it's, you know, body body over mind kind of thing that's why Quicksilver can run so fast it doesn't make as much sense but but it was because of the power of the Mind Stone that gave him the abilities that he has um, it <clears throat> the, the Mind Stone being combined with um, he used that technology to create Ultron because they were doing some advanced AI stuff with it so Ultron is crazy because the Mind Stone is unpredictable and it was the powers and technology of the Mind Stone that allowed him to create Ultron. And then the combination of the Mind Stone melding with Jarvis is what creates the vision. So, like, 
we don't see too much used for the test. Like Tesseract gets used for you know a ton of other stuff, and I forget what what gem Tesseract is or what the the ether is. I think the ether is the reality stone, maybe. Um, and uh, you know the orbs, the power stone. Um, but the mind stone, specifically being what it is, had a huge effect on the Avengers as a whole and did all these specific things, which I find really interesting. Um, so. Uh, now that Jarvis has become Vision, which is great, so we got Paul Bettany, you know, doing a little more than just a voice now. Um, which, in, like, Vision, how does this work? So, uh, Wonder Man is an old school Avenger. Um, he was actually supposed to get a, I should have mentioned this in the Volume 2 podcast, he was supposed to get a, uh, a little appearance in Volume 2 because Nathan Fillion was playing Simon Williams, who's Wonder Man. Um, and he's an actor that gets powers somehow. I don't really know quite how it happens in the comics. I didn't know his origin. So, in Volume 2, it was supposed to be a poster on a wall being like, Simon Williams is Tony Stark, and was playing him in a movie. So therefore making Nathan Fillion oh, be cool. Simon Williams. Um, so I don't remember the exact specifics of this, but Vision is the consciousness, or like, was created being the clone of Simon Williams' brain or something like that, and then Ultron is like the brother of Vision or something like that, so it's super weird, like, they're... Their whole thing is odd. Maybe Vision's son of Ultron or something like that. I forget exactly how it goes, but they're all tied together in some weird way. So the fact that the Mind Stone created Ultron and created Vision uh, is, is fairly indicative of how the comics went. Um, so, so he doesn't have uh, Jarvis anymore, so he is uploading a new AI into his thing, and he's got... Uh, these don't have um, acronyms that have meanings to them that anyone has explained, but he has two um, potential ones that he picks. He, he pops in Friday, who was an AI that Tony created in the comics. Uh, she's Irish. Um, she's an Irish A <laughs> good Irish girl. Uh, yeah. And uh, so, so he chooses Friday to be his AI from now until, you know, present. But there were two AIs he could have put in that he didn't. One is Jocasta, and Jocasta was the bride of Ultron. She, she's a robot created to be the bride of Ultron in, uh, in the comics. That's pretty uh, interesting. Um, so she shows up in a, in a couple stuff I've read. And the other is Tadashi, which is a name you should be familiar with. Ring any bells? Me? Yeah. No. So Tadashi is the creator of Baymax. Baymax? Baymax. What's, what's Baymax? Baymax is the robot from Big Hero 6. Which I have not seen. What? So... Yeah, no, I still I, I want to. I still haven't seen it. Oh, okay. I, I know what you're talking about, the big white guy, yeah. 
holy crap, you've got to see that movie, man. That's insane. Um, I know. It's been on my list for ages. A masterpiece. We're watching that. I don't care what you say. Um, <laughs> so, so Tadashi creates Baymax in Big Hero 6, which is, you know, Pixar, Marvel, or whatever, but not tied into the MCU. So that was a reference to Tadashi, who Tadashi has his own programming code that he plugs into Baymax, right, that, that programs him and his AI and has his name on it. Uh, so the fact that he has one that's named Tadashi is a huge reference to that. That's cool. Yeah, I really gotta watch that. So, the Mark 43 got roughed up during uh, the fight with the Hulk and the battle against uh, Ultron and stuff like that. So over the battle over Sokovia, he pops out the Mark 45, which doesn't have anything special on it and doesn't look super different. I wish I could say more about it, but there's not much to go on. Um, we have the battle on Sokovia. Classic fight. Really fun. Um, an, a scene that I really like. Uh, so so we have Hawkeye like tossing Cap his shield, which is kind of a small reference to like the fact that Hawkeye you know, was the potential to wield the shield or whatever. But wield the shield. Yeah, that, that's that's the comic. It's who who will wield the shield. I've got it somewhere. <laughs> um, but Black Widow uses the shield in this battle, and she kicks ass with it. So I'm very curious if she had any uh, use of it in the comics, because uh, damn, she's a badass with it. Um, when the helicarrier shows up, it's got a 64 on it, which I think was the same helicarrier that was in Avengers One. Um, the one, oh, the, the exact same one? The same number. I'm pretty sure Helicarrier 64 was in that one, because I remember uh, referencing 1964. It was not when the Avengers came out, but that was the year that uh, Issue 3 came out, which is where Cap joined the Avengers. So, um, so yeah, we have Maria Hill and Fury pop up again. Uh, we see Cameron. Yeah, it's so badass seeing them like, back in the thick of it, because I guess you know we haven't really had... Fury running shield since Winter Soldier now, and like we saw, we saw him a bit in the barn at, at Hawkeye's at Hawkeye's place. But you know, he's, he's being kind of relegated to the back now, so it's kind of cool seeing uh, Fury, old school Fury, back in action. Definitely. Um, we see Cameron Klein, who's the shield agent that uh, said Captain's orders in Winter Soldier, so he's back. That's right. We got War Machine kicking ass again. Um, we have Vision saving Wanda, which is kind of the foreshadowing for their relationship, which is a classic Avengers comic thing. True. Um, uh, anything else you wanted to add to the uh, the battle before I talk about the aftermath? I'll just it's definitely the battle for uh, like despite my issues with Ultron, like the Battle of Sokovia is definitely one of the. Uh, the best, uh, their best, like, climax is just, like, great, great action all around. You get to, like, the scene where they're all pushed back into the, uh, atrium, whatever you call it, where they're all fighting in that tiny little room, and, like, just, like, that, like, that, that, that was, like, classic, classic Avengers to me, and that, 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 the, we did not let down to me on that, with that, uh, with that fight scene. I just thought it was brilliantly done, and the whole idea of, like, the, you know, that Ultron was just trying to lift it up just to smash it back into the earth and create a whole fresh new slate for his robots was, was quite interesting and uh, and well done, um, but yeah, no, no, it's it's a really cool set piece too. Like the, the 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 city rising above the the ground, it's like a much more visually. Even though I like the Battle of New York more, it's a much more visually memorable battle uh, than, and it, it's cool seeing all of them use their powers uh, 
you know, some of them kind of cross-comboing powers over and stuff. Um, no, other than that, that's about it. Cool. Great battle. Definitely. Um, so after that happens, we have uh, um, Howard. Howard Stark had an old facility up in upstate New York. Tony transforms that into the, they call it the new Avengers facility. And very clever choice of words because it's like, you know, Tony parts and Thor parts and they've kind of done their thing. The Avengers kind of split up for a bit and Cap's left training a new team, which is uh, Scarlet Witch, War Machine, um, Black Widow, I guess. Uh, and Falcon. Falcon and Vision. Um, so those four kind of make up like a team of new Avengers. And Avengers are famous for having so many different uh, iterations in different groups. So, you know, you got Avengers, you got West Coast Avengers, you got you got all these different groups. So, so New Avengers is it's like a pretty iconic group. So to have it literally say New Avengers in the name is a really fun nod to that. Um, we find out that uh, Hawkeye named his son Nathaniel, as, as they planned to, instead of Natasha, because it was a boy. But his middle name is Pietro, after Pietro... Maximoff, because yeah, it's a nice touch. He died to save. Him, he saved you know? his life. Yeah. yeah. Um, Black Widow's one ring, you know, where where Bruce went, and uh, Fury's kind of talking to her about it, and he goes, "I oh, probably jumped out and swam to Fiji," which I thought was kind of a funny line, knowing he went so much farther than Fiji when we watched the Ragnarok. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, that's the last. This is the last we see of Hulk for about three years, and uh, or like I guess two years until. Until Ragnarok, he's completely out of the picture, and I guess they they don't know. The, it's kind of crazy. No one knows where he is, or if he's okay, or anything like that. It's uh, it's quite surprising. Totally. Um, and maybe one of my favorite parts in the entire movie. Uh, um, we, we had Tony and Cap kind of talking it out in that funny scene where they're cutting uh, cutting wood, and Tony goes, "Don't don't take any wood from my pile." Um, <laughs> But he's, he's talking to Cap, and he's like, uh, you don't seem that shaken up. Like, you, you okay? And he's like, yeah, why? You all right with that? And he goes, yeah, I just don't trust a guy that doesn't have demons. And he goes, well, let's say maybe you haven't seen mine yet. Um, and uh, he's, he's kind of talking to, to Cap before he drives off or whatever. And he's like, well, you know, maybe... maybe uh, I should take a book out of, uh, you know, take a page out of uh, Barton's book there and get a, you know, get a farm for Pepper or whatever. Maybe you should try a cat, you know, settling down. And the cat goes, you know, family, stability. Guy who wanted that went in the ice 75 years ago. I think someone else came out. Tony's like, you all right? The cat goes, I'm home. And you have that kind of, like, echoing of, you know, a military base playing in the background. And it's like, I think the fact that Cap lost... The desire to be anything else but a soldier, uh, especially after watching Punisher, I find that really um, iconic to his character and, and super important and probably the best thing that that Joss Whedon did to his character. Yeah, it makes sense. It's all he's ever really known, and especially in this day and age when he can still be useful, more than useful, it, it makes sense that he would have the, the desire to continue to do that. Definitely. He's adapted to modern life over the past few years in a realistic way, where he's still like, you know, old-fashioned, maybe on the times, but still has a conception of how the modern world works and modern technology. 
He's a quick learner, Cap. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, otherwise we got the, uh, the pre-credits scene, right after the first part of the credits where we see all the characters before the credits start rolling. We see uh, Thanos taking out the Infinity Gauntlet, um, which is an epic moment. Uh, but yeah, um, no post-credit scene, and uh, I feel like that was kind of a dick move on Joss's part. I mean, maybe he's kind of pissed off with Marvel; he didn't feel like putting something in. But that's the only movie that doesn't have one. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I I, I remember. I think Captain America one had like a teaser for the Avengers, but even that was still something. But I didn't. Re- I forgot that there was no after-credit scene. Yeah, that is. That's very strange for. Uh, and you, you gotta have it. Like, I can't think of a single other movie that hasn't done it since. Yeah, it's, it's the only one. Um, and, uh... Yeah, I mean... I, I remember being pissed off in theaters. I was like, well, why couldn't you have at least... I, I I prefer to have the things like Thanos grabbing Infinity Gauntlet be beforehand, like you said, and having the funnier stuff for after. But the fact that it didn't even want to put something funny in is just kind of like, uh... Probably, uh, foreshadowing that, you know, Joss was pissed and he was done. Yeah, which isn't, you know, I, I can get why you would be frustrated, but the fans, the Marvel fans have come to expect it. It's not like it's a huge undertaking to just have, like, a funny little scene after the credits, so it is it is very strange. I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I forgot that I didn't have one. All right, so, uh, that's it for Age of Ultron, week 11. Boom. Thank you for listening. And, uh, we'll see you guys in week 12, which, uh, Although I'll probably upload these ones as soon as I can. Week 12, I'll wait until the next week. Uh, space it out a little bit. Good call. All right. And see you guys next week. See you next week. <laughs>